0: Here we go, Wednesday edition of the midday on the Rural Radio Network. And welcome to it. It's lots of information. And uh, we put it all together here absolutely live on the Rural Radio Network. And then a little bit later on, we dumped that all over to a podcast that you can hear just about any time. So if you have to leave us, for instance, you know, to grab that hamburger, or whatever, uh, that's fine. You can always go back and find us on the podcast on your local station and on uh, ruralradio.com. Here we are with uh, an information preview, something we call the roundtable, and Clay Patton is sitting in today for the Ag team.
1: Yeah, second time I've actually got to come into the roundtable, so it's kind of an honor to be here.
0: You know, it's kind of nice to have someone who walks in four minutes ahead of time.
1: Yeah, true, <laughs> true. It, it just got to be timely. We have Susan and Shaylee there, there at the, the Cattleman's Classic right now, and sounds like shows are going great over there. Uh, just to kind of run down the midday on the Ag side of things, we start off twelve nineteen. Chad Moyer joins us with the Nebraska state FFA officer who has a non-traditional SA or supervised agricultural experience and how ag has really brought him into the ag family with that. 1245, Bryce sits down with Trent Fellers on the property tax ballot initiative that has kind of become quite the hot topic, $1.1 billion there that would become a property tax refund for uh, property owners. And then when we move to 117, it's Bryce again with Taylor Hart, and uh, they're talking about Experience the Power of Red, where UNL students learn more about the College of Agriculture Sciences and Natural Resources. So a good midday here on the ag side. Well, it absolutely is, and it's going to be followed with interest
0: that uh, that petition drive that's getting bank. Yes. wow okay well uh, from the newbie we go to the grizzled veteran over here that's uh, jason that I am.
2: that i am hey husker men's basketball team much needed victory last night over indiana they won it 66 57 now there are some so-called experts out there <laughs> they claim nebraska's not getting in unless they were to win the big 10 tournament Well, what do you think? I just find that hard to believe that if they beat Penn State on Sunday, which is a 50-50 game, yeah. and if they win at least one game in the Big Ten tournament and they are standing there with 23 wins on the year, I don't care how bad the Big Ten is perceived to be. Yeah. I can't believe they wouldn't get in.
0: Doesn't it depend on the electorate, though? I mean, if you've stacked the deck. Nebraska, let's face it, Nebraska gets no respect.
2: No, which from, they shouldn't. Yeah. They've done nothing in I mean, of consequence in men's basketball, really, right. over the years. They've never won an NCAA tournament game. Right. So I'm sure that plays into it a little bit, but yeah. I, we'll see. I don't know.
0: We'll see what the social
2: media does yeah. on that one. Nebraska women's coach Amy Williams, of course, she's done a wonderful job turning the Huskers around. She has been named a semifinalist for the Naismith Women's Basketball Coach of the Year. Of course, she's done a great job turning the Lady Huskers around. They stand a decent chance of making the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. And coming up in sports, we'll talk some Olympics. United States did something they have not done before. They won a medal in the, the team's sprint cross-country event today. Wow. yeah.
0: Well, we can't seem to Hockey team in. was
2: no good. Yeah. We've got a medal coming in Sprint Cross Country. All right. Well, let's see what we can do
0: over here with business and Bob Brogan.
1: Tech and banks and retailers are leading the stock gain today. Also, home sales are kind of on the decline. We're watching that situation. The White House says the U.S. could reach 3% growth rate, and the ne- Nebraska Economic Indicator says the declining dollar supports the outlook for two thousand eighteen and kind of a positive outlook these
0: stories are coming your way along with more on today's midday let's bring in paul perkins to talk about some ag weather here and it's not necessarily what you'd call a a, a good headline
3: no uh, very cold weather persistent winter like pattern continues across the area um, looks like this is going to stick around for probably into early march Uh, a lot of the forecast models keeping it on the cooler than normal side for a while or at least winter like but i've seen some indications that there are some people thinking maybe by march 12th that this persistent weather pattern this persistent winter pattern could be breaking by march 12th are you
0: talking to me that from (laughs) thursday february 22nd through march the 12th we can look to all of the this mess that this icing on nebraska
3: well not maybe all the time but yeah just uh, staying cold okay. off and on chances of precipitation um all right nice p- knowing you thanks
0: <laughs> now our uh, ag weather's brought to you by holdridge irrigation your Ranky dealer let's let paul go ahead and bring us this news
3: yeah at least today is nice we've got some sunshine some warmer temperatures and high pressure tracking towards the east and that's turning our winds to the southeast warming the temperatures right now so pretty much in the upper teens to the low 20s, it is down to 6 above, still in Alliance. They got down to 23 below again this morning, but their wind chill wasn't that 46 below that they had yesterday morning. We are expecting more wintry precipitation of snow and freezing drizzle for tonight as some low pressure approaches. Ice accumulations could be a problem by tomorrow morning, so watch out for that or maybe plan ahead. Snow becomes more likely tomorrow afternoon, maybe mixed in with some freezing drizzle Tomorrow afternoon and evening, that's when that main low lifts onto the plains. Snow accumulation should be about an inch or less. We're also watching that next winter storm that's expected to arrive into our area Friday night and Saturday as more low pressure emerges onto the plains. The precipitation type will be mixed with this, probably messy too, from snow and sleet to freezing drizzle or a combination. There are some forecast models that are advertising the potential of 10 inches of snow, but right now, Uh, It's not highly likely that we'll see that much snow. Probably some light accumulations with this system over the weekend. If you have some weekend plans, this system needs to be watched as conditions do look at that potential of both ice and snow accumulations. Now, the pattern turns dry for Sunday into Tuesday with more seasonal temperatures. But by the middle to late part of next week, we are looking at a more active pattern again with periods of colder and wetter weather in our long term forecast temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas mostly colder than normal, Monday through the first six days of March. the higher chances of being colder than normal are just to our rust across the western third of the u s and usually that air eventually makes it here, so it probably will stay cool for a while. That precipitation forecast calls for near normal to slightly above normal precipitation in Nebraska and Kansas Sunday through March sixth in the markets weather factors include dry conditions in Argentina. Harvest slowing rains in Brazil and precipitation chances in some of the southern plains. A dramatic separation will continue between record-sending warmth to the east and unusually cold weather across the western and central U.S. To illustrate just how warm it is to the east, temperatures remained above 60 this morning in parts of the ohio valley you don't think they think spring is sprung there (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, the cold and warm air boundary will remain that focus for significant precipitation in the next several days including flooding rains from eastern texas into the ohio valley periods of freezing rain will occur from the southern plains into the midwest and northeast at the end of the week some snow may develop across the upper midwest Mostly dry weather will prevail in the northern and southern high plains, including most of the wheat-producing areas of the southern plains. Dry weather in major growing areas of Argentina continues to stress filling corn and soybeans where crop losses are occurring. There were beneficial rains in minor growing areas this past weekend. No significant rain is forecast the next six to seven days in Argentina, but temperatures won't be as hot. Rain in central Brazil is disrupting the soybean harvest and second crop corn planting Weather is mostly favorable towards southern Brazil for filling, maturing, and early harvest to soybeans. The exception was some locally heavy rain that fell in Rio Grande do Sul yesterday.
0: Ag weather is being brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your rinky-dealer. And so, looking ahead here, we probably need to really pay attention here if you've got any travel plans this weekend.
3: Yeah, especially this weekend, it looks like that's going to be more of the major system, uh, the potential for some accumulations of snow, maybe some ice mixed in with that. Uh, You know, there are some forecast models saying maybe 10 inches of snow, but right now the forecasters don't think that's very likely. But we'll probably see some minor accumulations of snow with this system over the weekend. And, of course, watch out for some slick conditions. But it looks like it should be pretty much done by Saturday night into Sunday. Very good. You need weather anytime. KRVN.com.
1: One poultry company says they will continue to use antibiotics. ADM's possible bid for Bungie hits trust issues. And there's a change to the Beef Checkoff logo that has producers and consumers talking. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Sanderson Farm shareholders rejected, again, a shareholder proposal to phase out the use of antibiotics in chickens. The vote was 8.2 million votes in favor and 10.1 million votes against, a narrower margin than the last vote a year ago where 5.71 million shareholders were in favor to 12.4 million shareholders against. Rival poultry processors like Tyson Foods, Pilgrim's Pride, and Purdue Farms have increasingly moved to eliminate antibiotics from chicken flocks, Henderson said in an annual proxy filing that it has a detailed contingency plan to eliminate those drugs if competitive pressure requires and estimates it would wean its entire chicken operation from antibiotics within 12 months. The National Chicken Council says finding ways to raise chickens without any antibiotics is the latest example of an industry committed to innovation, producing a wide range of chicken products for a wide range of consumers. In ag business news, speculation has been swirling about reports that Archer Daniels Midland, or ADM, may be in talks to take over Bungie LTD. So far, there's also been little analysis about a corporate marriage of two major ag commodity buyers that combined for about $106 billion in sales last year. ADM reported $60.8 billion in annual net sales in 2017, while Bungie made out at about $45.8 billion in net sales in 2017. Chad Hart, Associate Professor of Economics, crop Market Specialist, and Extension Economist at Iowa State University, went on to say, with tighter margins, companies are looking at how they can wring more out of the system. When I'm looking at this proposal, what I see is ADM is the stronger company in North America, while Bungie is a little stronger in the South American market. ADM CEO Juan Luciano declined to talk about the press reports. Luciano did say ADM is looking to make strategic acquisitions and mergers to fill holes in the company's business. Bungie CEO Soren Schroeder also declined last week to address market rumors. He focused heavily on tightening margins and cost savings. He also wasn't certain that consolidation in the grain and oilseed industries would automatically lead to higher margins when it comes to a pair of global companies getting together. Still, even if the ADM-Bungie merger were to start, there are many economists pointing to the start of antitrust actions as well. The majority of global grain markets would be controlled by just a handful of companies, and this is when ag producers could see the most harm in the grain markets ending on a more positive note the beef checkoff has redesigned the beef checkoff logo for years the big red checkmark was underscored by several slogans including one of the most recognizable beef it's what's for dinner Consumer research has pointed to millennials being drawn back to beef by the time-tested beef-it's-what's-for-dinner slogan, but the other age groups appear to be tired of the slogan. That's why the checkoff went back to the drawing board, and National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Alyssa Harrison thinks the new logo is a win-win for both the industry and the consumer as it relates to those who are involved.
4: When talking to consumers, they don't know what the beef checkoff is. But when they learn that it's actually beef farmers and ranchers that are paying into this fund, that really meant a lot to them. They like the fact that beef producers were putting their own money, making their own investments into promoting their product in the industry. So we worked with the Cattlemen's Beef Board and USDA to change the funding That so now on consumer-facing information, when you see the check, it'll say funded by beef farmers and ranchers. It really supports what we're doing to try to promote the people Behind beef production.
1: With transparency in agriculture being a top consumer want currently, the new logo looks to help showcase the hard work that family ranches do to ensure safe and delicious beef for everyone. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row and keep listening to the Rural Radio Network.
4: It is National FFA Week here this week. Chad Moyer with you on the Rural Radio Network. Let's get a perspective from one of the Nebraska State FFA officers. He is Brock Vitek. He's originally from the Lyons-Decatur FFA chapter, now serving as one of the vice presidents of the Nebraska State FFA. Brock, uh, first of all, just give us a little bit of background on you.
5: Thanks, Chad. Uh, as you said, I'm originally from Lyons-Decatur Northeast and really enjoyed my involvement over there in the FFA. I'm untraditional in the sense I'm the only one of the state officers team without a production agriculture background. I grew up in the family construction business, working alongside my dad, and originally did not plan on joining FFA, except for a letter I received from Mr. Anderson the summer of after 8th grade year. I typed a letter, but it was a handwritten note on the bottom that said, hope to see you in August, that prompted me to join. And I'm so glad I uh, took that note in stride and decided to join. Uh, really found my passion through FFA, involvement in high school. In 8th grade, I thought I wanted to be a civil engineer and through my participation in the biotechnology contest and especially the agri-science fair, I found out that my passion was plant science, which has led me to majoring in plant biology at UNL. So FFA has really done a lot for me.
4: How about this past year as being a state FFA officer? What are some of the things that you've been able to do uh, with that?
5: It's been absolutely amazing. We had our first big experience in the first half of May with the Colts Conference, which is chapter officer leadership training out in Aurora, Nebraska where we put on four sessions of training for chapter officers across the state, and not quite a thousand FFA members ran through that conference. So that was really neat to engage with all of them and really interact with the members who we have been called to serve as state officers. And we had the NPower Conference in Seward at Concordia University in July, where we worked with members who were not necessarily officers and also students from other career and technical Student organizations, District Edge Leadership Conferences throughout the state and all 12 districts. And we've been gearing up for chapter visits and have just now started those. So it's been a whirlwind, but a great whirlwind.
4: On those business and industry tours, uh, since you weren't from a, a non-traditional background for an FFA member, what were you able to learn and, and surmise about Nebraska's agriculture industry through that?
5: Well, I tell you what, Chad, I was really able to see how diverse agriculture is in Nebraska. I already had an idea of that, but it wasn't anywhere close to the scale that's really um, true of agriculture here in the state. Meeting with people all the way from Lincoln out to Hershey, Nebraska, and what I found is the passion that everyone has for agriculture in Nebraska. I was amazed to see how passionate and how hard these people work to feed the world and what they're doing right here in the state and to see all of the uh, talent that we have here as well.
4: So as we kind of wrap up here, give me your thoughts. What is it about uh, your involvement in FFA? What do you hope to to carry as you finish out school and finding a place in the workforce?
5: Well, I have to tell you, Chad, with FFA, the biggest thing it has done for me has uh, allowed me to be part of something greater and larger than myself. Whether it's me or anyone else, when you put on that blue corduroy jacket, Uh, You become an FFA member, you become part of this national organization of over 650,000 members, and it's really connected me to global agriculture and that that bigger cause, those bigger ideas, helped me find that passion for plant science and feeding people, and like I said, those, those leadership skills, things that we can use throughout our life. Whether or not we are working in a leadership role, someone's on the local school board or the city council, things we can always use and we can only benefit from, and That's really been the biggest impact FFA has had on me, and I'm so, so grateful for that.
4: Again, we've been visiting with Brock Vitek. He is from the Lions-Decatur Northeast FFA chapter, serving as a state FFA vice president. Here during National FFA Week, I'm Chad Moyer reporting. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and sports
2: time with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well the Nebraska men's basketball team needed a victory last night against Indiana to keep its flickering incident tournament hopes alive and they got it done. Rallying late past the Hoosiers, sixty six to fifty seven. James Palmer Junior led the way with fifteen points. The Huskers were able to bounce back from their loss on Sunday at Illinois, and head coach Tim Miles hopes this victory can give the team a boost.
6: That's kind of what an upstart has to do. They have to win a game like this, you know, to gain that confidence, especially you know, you're cruising along, you're winning. You beat Maryland even though you're a little tight, and then all of a sudden you drop one, it's like, oh boy. And we, you just can't play like it's, oh boy. You have to play like, I know this is going to go our way, but you don't do that till you've earned it.
2: Isaac Copeland chipped in with 13 points, and Isaiah Roby contributed 11 points and 9 rebounds. The Huskers are now 21-9 on the year 12-5 in Big Ten action. They will close out the regular season at home against Penn State on Sunday. Butler hit 14 three pointers as they had no problem last night blasting Creighton 93 70. And red hot Michigan State is wrapped up at least to share of the Big Ten regular season title with a convincing home win over Illinois. As last night the second ranked Spartans won it 81 61 to improve to 15 2 in conference play. They are 27 3 on the year following their 11th consecutive victory. Nebraska's Amy Williams has been named a semifinalist for this year's Naismith Women's Basketball College Coach of the Year. The second-year Husker head coach has led one of the nation's top turnarounds, guiding the Big Red to a 19 and 8 overall record that's included a 10 and 4 conference mark heading into the final week of Big Ten play. Nebraska's put up a 12 game improvement in the win column over last year's 7 and 22 season. Huskers head into the final week of Big Ten action in a position to contend for a conference regular season title just a year after tying for last place in the 14-team league. Williams and Nebraska will play host Penn State tomorrow night. Americans Jessica Diggins and Kit Can Randall, the only mom-athlete on Team USA, made history today by winning the gold in the women's team sprint cross-country event at the Winter Games. It's the first-ever Olympic cross-country gold medal for the United States and the first-ever Olympic medal in that sport for the U.S. women. That's a check of sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly cloudy tonight in
7: Nebraska with a slight chance of freezing drizzle early this evening. I'm Dave Schroeder. More is being learned about the man charged with killing 17 people at a Florida high school. 19-year-old Nicholas Cruz had legally purchased at least seven long guns, including an assault-style rifle he bought less than a month ago that was used in the school shootings. Mario Scalora, a professor of psychology at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, specializes in behavioral threat assessment. Scalora says mass shootings are usually preceded by information that something might happen.
6: Very rarely do these acts ever not have uh, warning signs in advance. So very often these people are putting out breadcrumbs to warn us of, of their intentions, and very often their intentions get leaked out. Not often, not always to the school, but often to people around them like their friends or family members.
7: Districts statewide in Nebraska are undergoing threat assessment training aimed at spotting and acting on warning signs such as violent social media posts and alarming comments to classmates.
6: And we know threat assessment teams are very successful in disrupting these things when people see something, say something. When we see risk information um, it, it, we we know that these events can be disrupted. What we have to do is train schools and local law enforcement how to do that, and more schools and local police are getting this training and and also reinforcing that uh that process. Uh, across the state so that more more districts have access to this strategy
7: sclora says it appears someone did contact the fbi with concerns about nicholas cruz but agents failed to follow up with the response billy graham will be the first to say that his message was not complex or unique but he won over audiences worldwide with his friendliness openness humility and unyielding religious conviction He became a confidant to U.S. presidents from both major political parties. By his final crusade in 2005 in New York City, Graham, who died Wednesday, had preached in person to more than 210 million people worldwide. Wheel spinning and tire squealing would be banned under a bill that has won approval in the Kansas House. The Kansas law already prohibits exhibition of speed or acceleration, but the definition of what that means is loose enough that the Kansas Supreme Court last year threw out a conviction for driving under the influence that began with a traffic stop made by the current law. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone. Download it free in the App Store or Google Play. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder.
8: A petition drive to place a $1.1 billion property tax relief proposal on the November 2018 ballot for voter approval will begin collecting signatures this week. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting. The Yes to Property Tax Relief Committee has been formed to manage the effort. The committee must collect approximately 85,000 signatures before July 5th to place the proposed Property Tax Relief Act on the ballot. The act, which is identical to one in the Nebraska legislature, would provide property taxpayers with a refundable income tax credit equal to half of their property taxes collected by the local school district. I caught up with Trent Fellers, spokesperson for the committee, earlier this week.
9: We met with a lot of ag and property tax paying groups throughout the summer and uh, came up with the idea for the 50% refundable income tax credit and uh, haven't seen a path uh, through the legislature for property tax relief this year, so uh, we've decided to pull the trigger and, and, and go forward with collecting signatures so that the voters have something to decide on the ballot in November.
8: What happened this year that made you decide that? Well,
9: um, you know, the times come for Nebraskans to vote on an idea and put something on the ballot so that, that we have property tax relief. We haven't seen things come through the legislature. Uh, currently, we're, we're looking at not having anything come through the legislature this year. Uh, we obviously didn't have anything last year, so uh we We keep kicking this property tax can down the road, and now it's time to to act and and to move forward with with something. Um, And people are fed up with paying their high property taxes, and and so we're going to collect the 85,000 signatures to uh, put it on the ballot in November.
8: Talk about the actual language that will appear on the ballot. Is it identical to uh, Senator Irvin's proposal to the legislature?
9: Yeah, it's mirrored after the Senator Irvin's proposal. Uh, Basically, it's a, if you take a look at your property tax statement, you go to the line for your public schools and um, and divide that number by two, um, that's the property tax credit you'd get back from the state. That's the check you would get back from the state. So overall, it's a 30% reduction in your property taxes. It would take Nebraska from the fifth highest property taxes in the nation to somewhere in the middle.
8: Talk about the optimism that you've seen throughout this process. So far, I know every time I've spoken with uh, Senator Erdman, he said it will get on the ballot and it will pass. Is that the same optimism you have for this? Yeah,
9: we're, we're, we're optimistic about it. I mean, we've, we've seen a number of people... Uh, volunteer for our effort and been reaching out and everywhere I've traveled throughout the state whether I'm in Omaha, Scottsbluff, or in Valentine uh, we've seen support for the issue so uh, we, we feel confident confident we can take this thing forward and, and, and get it passed in November.
8: With a statewide ballot initiative it obviously takes funding under the Nebraska Farm Bureau and a handful of other agriculture groups are behind this effort. What is your fundraising goal and how are you doing so far?
9: Well uh, obviously we have to raise a lot of money to do that um, and uh, you know a lot of our fundraising goals Depend on how quickly we co- collect the signatures uh, but we've seen just an outpouring of support from the ag groups and now are spart- starting to get support from from uh, you know residents homeowners uh, and uh, also some commercial property owners that are uh, concerned about high property tax as well so this isn't a uh, rural issue it's really a blend of rural and urban together uh, trying to lower property taxes across the state.
8: Do you have a fundraising goal set
9: yeah, uh well we have to raise probably about $850,000 to make it go. Um so we're collecting those donations online. Uh we've been you know blessed to have really good support from uh the different agriculture groups in the state and we're continuing to raise money through the process. So it's uh it's it, it's a it's a hard job to get uh this thing done, but uh we're confident with the number of volunteers and people that are out there that are supporting pro- property tax relief that uh, we can we can accomplish our goal and have it on the ballot in November.
8: Critics of the the ballot initiative will generally go to two things: one, the 1.1 deficit that the state will have to find money for to fund uh, the current uh, state amenities, we'll call them, and two, the timing of it. Uh, there are three proposals in the Nebraska legislature that directly address property taxes. So address those two things that critics might uh, might say.
9: Yeah, so we've we've seen the proposals come through the legislature, and it would be great if the legislature enacted property tax relief right right this year. But uh, we haven't seen a bill come out of the revenue committee, um, so time is running out in this session, and time is also running out before July fifth for us to collect signatures. So um, we're starting it now uh, to make sure that we have something in November. If something passes uh, that's uh, relief, we'll we'll move forward, um, at, or we'll or we'll stop depending on how that relief is. Uh, and you know, as far as you know, the people that are saying 1.1 billion dollar shortfall, um, you know, we've we've run deficits the last several years and been able to clear those. And right now, the state isn't paying its bills as far as education goes. And what this proposal will do is put uh, the legislature and the property taxpayer on the same side of the equation. So they're paying the same; they're writing the same check. Um, we we should be relying on a broader base of taxes that most people pay in this state, um, and we're not doing that right now.
8: That was Trent Feller, spokesman for the Yes to Property Tax Relief Committee. Of course, the property tax relief petition is now underway. The group announced that they will begin collecting signatures earlier this week. The committee has hired Arizona-based Lincoln Strategy Group to manage the signature collection campaign. Lincoln Strategy Group recently led the successful petition drive in Nebraska to repeal the repeal of the death penalty in 2016. The group used a combination of paid and volunteer circulators to collect more than 166,000 signatures in just 82 days. Now for this petition, it will only require 85,000 signatures before July 5th. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskit reporting.
10: on the Rural Radio Network. Yesterday at this time, we talked about a drab live cattle and feeder cattle market, pretty low volume, very narrow trading range. A little different story today, right, Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities?
11: Yes, it is very much a different uh, story. Uh, got back into some volatility uh, once again uh, in the cattle market, and, and really uh, the feeders, uh, the ones that uh, emphasized that the most today, uh, we had some uh pretty uh big losses in uh, in the feeders today uh over three dollars uh lower in uh, the front months of uh the feeders and then uh in the twos after that uh two dollar losses so uh, uh pretty uh pretty good hard down day the uh in the feeders which led the way the, the uh the live cattle uh triple digit losses in quite a few contracts. The only exception uh, being the uh, nearby February contract, was just a little bit lower. But uh, I've heard now that we've had a few cattle trade at 128, which is down two bucks uh, from uh, last week, and that uh, that uh, certainly kind of capped things off for the day. This, despite the fact that the cutouts were a little bit higher, but the volume in the boxes. pretty uh pretty light so didn't really give a very good test uh albeit so uh, pretty hard down day pretty good liquidation i think taking place uh, in the uh, in the cattle complex on the other hand the uh, hogs once again a little bit higher uh, uh cash steady firm and the cutouts uh, holding in there so a little positive for the hogs but Negative.
10: Joe Teal, Great Plains, Commodities.
8: It is that time of year again. People are thinking about college. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskett. Experience the Power of Red is a College of Agricultural Sciences and Natural Resources event at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln where students can experience the different aspects of the College of Agriculture. Joining me now to discuss more is Taylor Hart. She's a recruitment associate for CASNR. Taylor, thanks for being here, and let's talk about just a, a broad perspective. What is the Experience of the Power of Red?
12: Thanks for having me, Bryce. Um, the Experience of the Power Red Visit Day um, is a great day on campus. It's held on a Thursday, this March 15th. Um, so classes are in session. Students are able to get a true sense of being a Husker for the day. Um, What they learn about is possible careers that they could have in everything from animals to plants to climate, golf to business, mechanization to leadership, um, and even food to forensic science.
8: You mentioned that students will be on campus. Again, the the event is on March 15th. So that really provides a unique aspect of this. They can actually see what college looks like and also the students that are all part of it.
12: Yes. So it's actually held in the Nebraska East Union Um, So there are current students flowing in and out, headed to the dining hall, studying in between classes. So it really gives them a great perspective of where they could be going to college at, and they get to picture themselves there.
8: Talk about the day's agenda. Will will they see inside classrooms, do tours, or what does the, the agenda look like?
12: Yeah, so when students arrive and they register, there's a browsing session. So all 30 of our degree programs will be represented. Um, so that browsing session is about 45 minutes long. There's a welcome. And then we split up where students get to pick their top three academic programs that they want to learn about. And there's three half-hour sessions that they can choose from. And they will be going to the academics um, sessions building where the department is held at, seeing their facilities, learning about classes that they could take, internship opportunities, and careers.
8: It surprises me every time I hear that there are 30 different programs within the college. So Talk about that and the uniqueness, and there are a broad range of programs people can choose from.
12: Yes, so we have a lot of the traditional ag programs, agribusiness, agricultural education, animal science, agronomy, what you think of when you think of agriculture. Then we also have the natural resources side, so fisheries and wildlife, environmental studies, um, even water science. Then there's a few outliers that some people think, why would this be in CASNR, like our forensic science program. So if you're interested in crime scene investigation, that would be a good program for you. Um, We also have a PGA Golf Management Program. You see people carrying around golf clubs in the middle of January. Don't be surprised. Um, And then there's also our Hospitality, Restaurant, Tourism Management Program. So when you do graduate from CASNR, you earn a Bachelor of Science in everything except for that Hospitality Program that's a Bachelor of Arts.
8: Sounds like there is a wide diversity of different programs people can experience at the Experience the Power of Red uh program that's happening again on March fifteenth so talk about who should attend this event Taylor
12: yeah, so our anybody is eligible to attend there's no certain grade that you have to be um we tell students as soon as they can get on campus, it starts helping with their decision um process, so sophomores juniors seniors around this time kind of have it figured out of where they want to go to um but then again, it's just a good general day where you got when you where you get to see a lot of what it's like to be a Kastner student. Mm-hmm.
8: Yeah, certainly. And tell us the date once again, and where people can go to learn more information about the event.
12: The date is Thursday, March fifteenth, from eight thirty in the morning till noon. You can visit go.unl.edu casnervisitday visit day to register.
8: Talking with Taylor Hart, she's a recruitment associate at UNL on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskin.
10: Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with John Payne, senior marketing analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. We didn't see a whole lot of movement in this corn trade today. Looks like low volume today, too, John.
13: Oh, boy. It was uh, from about 11, 11 o'clock on, I think we traded in a two-cent range for beans, and really, really close to 366 pretty much the whole morning after 11 for corn. Uh, you know, the same story applies. you got egg form tomorrow. I think the markets are waiting to see what the uh, new crop story will be. Uh, if you're looking for a bullish surprise, probably comes in corn, although I'm not Still not thinking that the the market 's going to discount much of a, of a below a ninety million bushel crop um, you know the usDA probably sees a little more bean acreage here, but it 's interesting we 're right where we were a year ago, almost at the exact price point. Old crop's a little bit lower, but new crop three hundred and ninety six and a quarter, which was the average price for February looking up at the bean crop for November 1027 and a quarter. I think we were 1023, something around that level for uh, the February crop insurance period and we had a million more acres for corn than beans. So I, I'm not uh, you know expecting any big surprise tomorrow. I think the big story is is, old, is in old crop corn and what would be new crop product for South America, both of which I think contain a lot of bullishness.
10: And the same thing might be said on the bullish side for soybeans given Argentine weather?
13: Yeah, I mean, beans are, they're an animal if they want to take off here. And I think, uh, you know, the amount of selling I'm seeing and the, the amount of group think, I think that everybody's kind of putting their heads together and saying, hey, we need to sell this 1030 level because it worked a year ago is astonishing. I think if, you, if you're going out there on on futures accounts and you're trying to sell paper here, you better be ready to fire more bullets at this market if it would rally, say, 10, 1080, 10, to $11. We've seen those kind of levels before and don't think we can't see it again. Looking at the new crop production, uh, you know, estimates for South America, it really comes down to how weak Argentina is going to be. And I've seen a lot of arguments that we're trading a 40 million metric ton crop down there. So you're looking at, you know, a production over 10% less than we saw a year ago in South America for beans and 15% less for corn. Throw in the fact that China's been closed here for the last couple of days, and they're going to reopen from their uh, you know holiday that they've been on for the last two weeks. I have a feeling they'll be in a buying mode. So I don't know if the March delivery will be the pot time to, to buy it ahead of that, but if you get a chance on a break here before uh, the first of the month, right around that first of the month, and we corn and beans, I think there's a lot of value there.
10: Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Again, publisher of the n- newsletter, This Week in Grain. Go to danielsagmarketing.com for more information. As corn was fractionally higher, soybeans 7 to 8 higher, Chicago wheat 2 to 3 lower, and Kansas City weight 5 to 6 lower today on the Board of Trade. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.